0: that's where I focus. Yeah, I think even that it makes so much, but it's the same thing, right? People are chasing the sexy, the same with why so many people are wholesaling and and people always get upset with me because I tell them I'm like, you know, you making a business out of wholesaling is like making a business out of being an Uber driver. You know, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? like, you know, wholesaling, I don't get me wrong. I love wholesaling. I think it was a great strategy to, to learn the market, to learn the strategies, learn who the players are, all of that. But at some point you got to become a real investor, right? At some point you need to be able to actually pick up properties and flip properties and rehab and and acquire rentals and maybe build and maybe get into commercial. Like you need to evolve as an investor. If you want to sustain, over the long course because wholesaling isn't that for anybody you understand, like it just there's so many moving parts in wholesaling and so much turnover. And it's like it gets to a point where you as a wholesaler, you got to be OK with screwing people over in order to reach volume because it, it gets to a point where the the bottom line becomes your profit. And now you're and I see this all the time, especially in, in San Antonio with wholesalers, wholesaling houses that you know, they, I I go, they're like, Oh, there's 70 grand in repairs. I go look at it and I was like, no, you're at least at one fifty in rehab on this house. Where the hell are you going to put 70 in here? Like now, can you go back to the seller and renegotiate $70,000 discount? You understand? Like it's that kind of shit because they're just getting on the contract and selling it to whoever the hell is going to buy it. And people are just not learning what it is to be an actual investor how to actually analyze a deal. Does this make sense? Is this going to make money? Does this make sense over the long term? What exit strategies do I have? We always like buying properties with a few exit strategies, not just one, you know, and, and we see it more and more here with, uh, the historic districts I get. And this is actually sad. I'm, I'm kind of laughing because of how much it happens, but I get at least one to two calls a week from investors asking me to give a, give them my opinion on a flip that they're doing in in the historic districts. And after I'm done, they start doing the math and they're like, Oh, but that means I'm going to lose twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000. I'm like, yeah, you severely overpaid, you know, just because that's the cool place to be renovating. Cause the houses look really cool and you could put subway tiles everywhere. And it's like, the, you know, at the end of the day, like it still needs to be an investment. Like this is still investing, not, real estate gambling, you understand? And that's where I just see so many people time and time again, just kind of gamble at real estate and, and there's private money lenders right now that are losing their ass because they have money. They're willing, you know, they are, they're fearing like they're going to lose out for whatever reason. And they're just willing to give it to any idiot that has a deal. And then we get a call from these private money lenders saying, Hey, can you buy this deal for me? And it's like, all right, well, you're going to lose some money on it though. Cause, This deal never made sense at those numbers. You got to have levels to your financial freedom goals, right? Like it can't be, I think where a lot of people again, get caught up is that they say, you know, well I need a million dollars, right? Because I want the jets and I want this and I want that. And I'll never forget a a talk that I saw with Tony Robbins one time where uh, a young kid said the same thing. And he says, all right, well, let's actually break down the lifestyle that you dream of. And when they broke it down, the guy, the kid needed like 220 grand a year to live that lifestyle because he didn't need to own a jet. Like he could have, uh, you know, rented a jet or, or, you know, you have all these other options. And like when he started breaking everything down, he needed substantially less than what he actually thought he needed. And I think a lot of people would just pick a pie in the sky number or a pie in the sky, like, you know, what the ideal life is for them and, I think that's where we all fell at because it becomes so unreachable because every day that goes by you just keep looking at that end goal and it's so far ahead of you that you're like damn you know I, i'm still so far away and this is something that i learned from um i, I don't know exactly what he is but dan sullivan i, I think he's like a, a a performance coach i don't know what he does But he's he's big in the whole in that whole space. And he says, you know, always connect the dots looking backwards, not looking forward because looking forward, you can't gauge that distance, but you can always look backwards and see how far you've come. And if you set smaller goals, like maybe right now you're making 30 grand a year, right? Uh, Well, your goal shouldn't be to make, you know, 100 grand, maybe go to 50 grand a year because now it becomes more attainable. And it becomes something that you can start making real changes right now to hit that 50 grand a year. And then you start the next goal, maybe hundred grand a year and 150. And then you start incrementally going up and you'll see, and that would change and always be okay with it changing, right? Be okay with adapting with your new goals as you, as you grow your business and everything. I mean, every year, my business partner and I, we go on a retreat to plan out the year and almost always by the end of the first quarter, our whole business model changed again because we're always adapting to where's the market at what's the market doing what makes sense um and you got to be okay with making those pivots and making those changes and not being so hard on you know i was supposed to make 50 grand this year it's like well it doesn't matter if you put the right systems to start generating income that was a huge win right and maybe the 50 grand doesn't come this year but it comes by february are you still going to be upset right that you've made it or are you going to be upset that it didn't happen by december like those artificial deadlines and stuff like that that we put on ourselves i think cause tremendous stress and decrease in motivation when it comes time to investing and it comes time to building our businesses because we put very artificial goals and deadlines where it should be more of you know my goal is to build out a system that maybe i can scale or a system that can Generate me some constant revenue. So work on that. Don't worry about the money aspect. The money is going to come, you know. And if it doesn't, it'll come once the system is ready. Or maybe that wasn't the right system. And that's a lesson that you learn. And you got to pivot. So, I mean, I I think making money your goal is... It's kind of a way to cause a lot of stress and a lot of bad decisions. And if you're you're saying to yourself right now, holy crap, this is some good information. You know, this is stuff that I just... I didn't I didn't even know it was available. I'm learning some amazing strategies. Then all I ask from you is just shoot on over to an investor's journey on YouTube. Find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. You know, I'll put the link in the description just so it's one click like and you're done. How much easier can that be? Right. Just give me some support. Show me some love. That's all I ask from you. And I will keep putting out this amazing content. So show me some love and enjoy the rest of the show. So wholesaling, you're, you're essentially doing the same thing as wholesaling. You're doing the same type of marketing that you would do when you're wholesaling to generate the leads. The difference is that you are actually going to buy the property yourself because instead of wholesaling it, you know, just getting it on the contract and selling it to an end buyer, assigning the contract, you're actually going to take it down. You're going to buy it yourself. And then you are going to list it on the mls because right now you have so many buyers so much buyer demand that you are more than likely to get so much more money from what could be a retail buyer that's willing to put in the work on the house what could be an investor that's coming in from uh the east or the west coast with a lot of money and they're just looking to hold property these people are overpaying for properties by like 15 to 20 grand from what you would typically wholesale it to a, um, to one of your own wholesalers. So, and, and here's the, here's the thing, right? So we've talked about the, I guess you can call the morality of that, you know, it's like, but you know, they're overpaying. Correct. I do, but I'm not, you know, I'm not controlling them. I'm an agent at that point, right? So I'm just putting a property on the market. You as the investor always need to do your due diligence and then you should never think for your investor, right? It's your investor that needs to realize that, Hey, I'm actually going to take this property. I, I understand I'm overpaying, but I'm going to hold it for five, 10 years. And we do the market update for San Antonio and we have pulled a lot of historic data and over any 10 year period, doesn't matter if you even pull from uh 2008 real estate always goes up. Right. If you bought even if you bought in 2007, right at the peak of real estate and the market crashed and you looked at two, uh 2007, you looked at 2017, the market was already higher than it was in 2007. Right. And in a lot of areas, especially in Texas. So when you look at these things and you look at those areas, real estate over the long term always goes up. And those are the things that a lot of people need to understand and, you know, keep in mind that it's long term. And even when I say, you know, we're doing the two year flip where we're buying the property and holding it for two years, we are still making sure that that property cash flows. Like one thing that when I first got to Texas about eight years ago, there were people in Austin that were buying properties for the appreciation and they had negative cash flow. And they're like, yeah, it's cool because, uh, you know, I'm investing for the appreciation. And my thing is like, I'm sorry, like, how do you guarantee appreciation? You understand? Like, how do you know for a fact you're going to get, obviously they did get appreciation and these people are not hurting, but it's, it's a gamble at that point. And I don't like that in real estate. I like, you know, making sure that my investments are smart. Therefore, when I buy property, even for appreciation purposes, I might, even if I have to, I might leave 15 grand in the deal. So it cash flows. Right. And at least I know that that 15 grand is in there. It's, it's gone. But this property is cash flowing. Anything happens, I have the cash flow to take care of it. I have the cash flow for the turnover. You understand? Like I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bet as much as I can. And if I don't have the 15 grand to leave into the deal, then I probably shouldn't be buying that deal because now I'm, um, you know, I'm really just hoping for the best. And that's something that you know I always tell people: don't make uh, luck part of your investment strategy. One, investors, wholesalers, a lot of people are working right now. Like the market is forever going to keep going up, right? Because also the majority of the people that have gotten into real estate, um, they don't understand what a downturn looks like. And don't get me wrong. It's not like I've been investing, you know, since I was, you know, like most people i have been invested for 30 years. (laughs) That's not the case at all. But I'm a big student of economics and history. So I've actually gone back and studied you know, the 2008 crash, the 2000 crash, the 87 crash. I've looked at this. I, I've looked at the Great Depression. So I, I want to see like what is not so much like people look at, um, you know, the cycles. I, I don't think cycles play a factor anymore in real estate because of, you know, the heavy manipulation that we're having in the market. But it's more of, of you know, what is the psychology that leads to these things happening? And when I look at things like that and I look at how a lot of wholesalers and people that mostly the people that you see on Facebook claiming like, you know, this shit is awesome and how much money they're making and how they're killing it. Um, they don't, they're not ready for any type of correction. They have no skills to monetize on any type of correction on any type of market shift. Um, even right now, like I was saying, I think this year, if you're especially in Texas and you're trying to wholesale, I think you're doing the wrong strategy. I think, you know, you need to shift from wholesaling to actual hoteling because hoteling right now, if you're, if you're a traditional wholesaler, you put these properties on the market because of such low inventory, you have so many more buyers and actual buyers coming at you. And most of them are paying more money than your wholesalers are ever going to pay. You understand? Because there's such a demand in the market. You have such low inventory. And then you add to that, that you have all of these uh refugees from the east coast and the west coast coming down like you know these people are coming in selling their homes for seven eight hundred a million dollars and they're coming here and they're seeing houses for 70 80 grand they're like my god even if they're overpaying, we've been outbid by more than 30 grand on deals where that was our profit now i'm like what the hell are you doing with this property and that's where I, I think you need to, people need to shift their strategies. People that are flipping, I'm looking at doing, um, what we coined a few years ago as the two year flip. So you pick up the property and you're going to hold it for a year or two. Let that appreciation catch up, let that, you know, market pick up, let all that pick up and then you end up selling it. So now your taxes are lower. You've made more money. You have some cash flow cause you've rented it th- or Airbnb or whatever you wanted to do throughout that time. And now you're making uh, like real money and building actual wealth. But your quick flips, I think right now to even get it low enough where you can budget in the repairs and the profit and everything, it's hard. It's actually pretty hard because you're seeing so much, so many people come in the market and just overpay and outpay almost anybody else in the market. So if you're not willing to shift and you're not willing to make those moves, uh, I think it's going to be a very tough year for a lot of people. I think you hit, you know, the nail on the head there where I always tell you, you, the best investor is always willing to walk away from a deal, right? You, if you are a motivated buyer as an investor that you, you're just so hungry for that deal and you're not willing to walk away, you are preparing yourself for a very, very big disappointment because you're going to end up being a motivated buyer. You're going to look at the deal in a, in whatever, which way you can make sense of it. And it's like, you know, that, that doesn't make it a good deal. You just try to make it make sense in your head, but now you bought something that you, and even when I was talking about, you know, earlier on, I don't know if you were on Dan, but I was talking about like hoteling and stuff like hoteling. While the premise, seems very simple. It it has a lot more risk than simple wholesaling because wholesaling, you are just assigning the contract, right? You don't really put up any money, but in hoteling, you got to either borrow the money or have the money to purchase the home before you list it. So what happens if you don't, if you list it, it doesn't sell. Now you got to be able to do something with that home, whether flip it yourself or keep it. So if you don't have that contingency in place and you don't understand that now you find yourself with a property with probably a hard money loan or whatever kind of loan you took out on it and you can't do shit with it you know, all because you were speculating and by all means, like I said, like, while I see that being a strategy, I don't mean it in a speculative way. You still need to do your due diligence and you still need to be able to invest. Um, the only shift that I'm seeing, and I would love to hear what you say, what you see in, uh, in the commercial space, Dan, but like one thing that I'm seeing a lot now is it's getting harder and harder to find properties that you can buy They're going to, you know, give you three, four hundred dollars cash flow and still 20 percent equity with you being zero dollars into the property, at least here in Texas. Right. I I don't know the rest of the U.S., but here in Texas, those are becoming very hard to find. But I still see like in San Antonio, there's still so much more potential for market growth, affordability, so many things that I tell people, I'm like, if you're sitting on a large pile of cash and you can refinance, then your 20% equity might have to involve some of your money le- staying in the property so that cash flow is there so the property makes sense but now you're just investing for the long term you're being a traditional buy and hold investor um and right now in San Antonio and Texas like that's kind of where you need to be if you want to be picking up these properties um not betting on the appreciation but we're seeing more and more companies move to Texas because of our the laws and everything here that Appreciation is damn near guaranteed in a way, but you should still be willing to leave some money in. Still cash flow. Still have a sound investment and be okay. And that money you leave in, it cannot be money that you're like, you know, now I'm hungry. Now I'm starving at home. It needs to be investment capital that you have left over to be able to do it. Yeah, and one thing that you said, Mike, that um, you know, now everybody's looking to move to Wisconsin. I think that's also another issue that investors have is thinking that like a lot of investors are always kind of behind the ball on the trends and they're always chasing where everybody else is going without understanding any of the fundamentals of why you should be there. Right? So even if you're telling me, you know, nobody's trying to move to Wisconsin, but I would still look at the market and see, all right, but what opportunities does Wisconsin have? You know, even as far as, like you're saying, the bird strategy is working there. Well, as a, As a passive investor, somebody that loves buy and hold, like I'm very interested in that. I don't care that it's not the next hot town or maybe you know the appreciation isn't going to be skyrocketing. But if I can get some great cash flow and a good, it's a good stable market, I'm I'm all in, right? Like I I don't care for how cool the market is or not. Like I just (laughs) I care for the investment itself, and that's where a lot of people are not making the doing the research and kind of taking the time to figure out. All right, is this market? you know, the best market for me to be in. Even when I moved, I moved from New York to Texas because of real estate and eight years ago when I did the market analysis, I, I looked at Dallas, Austin and San Antonio. And I came to San Antonio cause I saw it as a much calmer, slower market that could let me get my feet wet and kind of let me catch up because Austin was red hot. Dallas was red hot. And I was like, if I jump in there, I, I don't even know what the hell to do. Right. It's moving way too fast. So I chose a market that was going slower. And right now San Antonio is red hot, right? San Antonio is really booming. It's growing. Um, But I'm actually looking to get out of San Antonio. I'm looking to go to other places where there is more cash flow and the investments make a little more sense and people aren't just jumping in just because everybody else is jumping in. What's up podcast? If you are getting value out of this right now and you're saying, damn, John, this is some good shit. This is some good information. And I just ask you, just shoot on over to YouTube and just find this video and give me a little thumbs up on there. It helps me so much. You have no idea how much it means to me. With all the work and everything that we put into this, it really helps us grow our channel and grow our our reach. So if if you're finding some value, just shoot on over to YouTube, find an investor's journey, find this video, and just give it a little thumbs up. That means the world. Thank you.